0: Alright, well we are in Luke chapter 2, so why don't you turn there with me to Luke chapter 2. Pick up in verse 21 and we will try to get all the way down to the end of the chapter tonight. I think we should be able to do that fairly easy. Easily. Um, But the title of the study is Israel Meets Their Messiah. Israel Meets Their Messiah. So we're going to continue a study at the early days of the life of Jesus. Now, here's the thing we're going to see tonight. We're going to see Jesus... Last week we saw him, you know, at his birth. But here we're going to see him from 8 days old to 12 years old. Now there's only a couple little touch points, but that's the time span of his life that we're going to be looking at. And in this time frame, he's going to meet Simeon. He's going to meet Anna. He's going to meet the teachers or the scribes of Israel. And he's also going to meet his parents, excuse me, the... Simeon's going to meet Jesus. Anna's going to meet Jesus. Teachers are going to meet Jesus. And even Joseph and Mary are going to meet Jesus in a new way. They're going to have a new experience with him. And so Jesus is introduced. So let's begin reading there, verses 21 through 24, where we see that Jesus was obedient to the law. He was raised in a family where there was obedience to the law. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child... His name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves Or two young pigeons. That was the sacrifice that poor people would make. So we get a little indication of uh, where his family was. So they were not a wealthy family. They brought the least expensive gift you could bring. But we see him, his family, fulfilling the law of the Lord. And through the circumcision, through the purification, at the presentation of the sacrifice for a son, uh, the firstborn male, they are being obedient to the Lord. So from the earliest days of his life, Jesus' family had respect for the law of God and were walking this out that he might be obedient and they might be obedient. Now, in the later years of his life, Jesus is going to continue to live a life of obedience and continue to live a life that was in submission to the law of the Lord. Um, If you just want to skip down just a few verses into verses uh, 39 and 40, of Luke chapter two, we get a little summary of, of his life. It says, So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew up and became strong in the spirit, um, in the spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So they did all things according to the law. This was a this was a family. You can see why um, it was Mary. And therefore, also Joseph, these are two people that know the word and are walking in obedience to the word. And this is the family and this is the house that Jesus will grow up in. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, we read, Do not, Jesus is speaking, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus fulfilled the law by obeying it. Um, and by remaining spotless, he was that Lamb of God that could be offered up for the sins of the world. He fulfilled it by taking the curse of the law upon himself, but not for himself. He took it upon his body that he received at the birth in Bethlehem. He received that body, and as he grew up, he eventually went to the cross, and he died at the death of a crucifixion, and upon him was placed the curse first. For the sins of the world. Because the word of God says. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on the tree. Because cursed is the one who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them. Which is all of humanity. As under the curse. And Jesus hung on the tree. The cross. And he took that upon him. So he fulfilled it by obeying what the law had to say. He fulfilled it by taking the curse of the law upon himself, although he did not break the law, nor was no curse upon him. He is that substitutionary sacrifice for sin. Your lamb. My lamb. He fulfilled the law by providing a justification that the law couldn't provide. The law was good. It was a great way for Israel to live her life. It provided um, you know, great civil structure. It, it provided great um, way in which they were to minister to one another and the poor of the land, to serve one another. It told them the things of righteousness and unrighteousness, moral character, the way they should conduct themselves. It was a good law, but the law was only a tutor. The law was never meant to be a means to justify them. And it is, this is where the law came, came up short, if you will. And if you take the time to read in Galatians, you'll see this so clearly. That the law was there to basically be a mirror. And when you looked at the law, it showed you where your shortcomings were. It showed you that you were not seeking the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and so in that you would see your sin and then there would need to be a sacrifice and atonement made. And you were constantly reminded through your own failures that I cannot keep the law perfectly on my own. And so there was this continual offering of animals for sin. So the law was not a justifier. At the best, it could be a covering that looked forward in faith to the finished work of the Lamb of God upon the cross. So this is... What the law was doing. Jesus fulfilled the law. He did. Does this mean then that because we are no longer under the law of Moses, which we are not, does that mean, as is often charged by those who cling to an Old Testament law way of living, that we are now lawless and we are um, supporting a lawless way of life? Well, if you don't keep the law of Moses, then you must be lawless. But but wait a minute, let's think about this. Before the law of Moses, did, was, was God's plan lawlessness? Before the law of Moses was instituted, there's a lot of time that had existed on planet Earth. Yet God still called mankind to holiness and to righteousness. So so hear this. Before the law, it was not lawlessness. There was still a law written upon the hearts of, of, of the conscience, and the mind of people. They knew there was a right way. I mean, uh, Cain knew that it was wrong to, to murder his brother Abel. He didn't have to have the law of Moses to tell him that. Uh, the people of Noah's day, they were aware of their sin and God righteously judged them. So, it's not a, that lawlessness abounded before the law of Moses, nor is it lawlessness after the fulfillment of the law of Moses. Today, under the new covenant, the Lord still calls us to holiness. He says, be holy, for I am holy. That we should walk obediently. We should keep the commands of the Lord. So, many times when we begin to say, well, we no longer keep the law of Moses for um, And we're not under that. People say, well, then you just believe in lawlessness. No, not at all. That statement fails to understand that there was a law that existed before the law of Moses. It's not that God was like, live however you want to. If that's the case, how do you explain the flood? Clearly, God did not approve of lawlessness. So, this is uh, when we read about Jesus fulfilling the law in these many different ways, and we're going to see this through his life. We sometimes have this concept of the the law is bad, Jesus is good. And that is a wrong concept to have. We see here that he's saying, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not here to trample that. I'm here to walk and to fulfill it. And it's in these ways that, that he fulfilled it. By remaining spotless, by taking the curse, by providing justification. And no, we are not lawless because we are not under the law of Moses, which... The New Testament teaches us. But we should be living a life of obedience to the Lord. You know, Just because we're no longer in the law of Moses does not mean that we just go and live however we want to. Hey, it's grace. It's a grace time. Don't, Don't come up with me on walking in holiness and righteousness. It's grace. That's the law, brother. That's the law, sister. Don't put a trip on me. Walking in holiness is not putting a trip on you. It's exactly what the Lord desires from us. And it's our privilege and it's our blessing to be able to walk in holiness and righteousness and to keep the commands of the Lord. No, they aren't going to justify us, but it certainly will be evidence of the one that is justified. If you have the Spirit of God living within you, you cannot sin. This is what John says. You cannot just continue to live a life of sin and not care about it if the Spirit of God dwells within you. You might do it for a time, but you cannot continue to do that. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And this may be where you are tonight. You've been had that season. Yes, you're saved, and you're in that season of wrestling with the Lord and doing your own thing. you're like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it does matter. You know, the person that we all should be concerned about who claims to know Christ is the person who says, I know Christ, and they have no problem continuing in sin. The person who knows Christ and fails and falls and yet is broken and tore up over this, I'm not worried about that person. Because the Spirit of God is at work in their heart and is bringing them to repentance, and that's maybe who you are tonight. And here you are. It's not been a shining week of uh, just uh, of sanctification for you, but you're here. That's because the Spirit of God's working in your life and that conviction is there. And you just can't, you cannot go on in this any longer. And you've already done business with the Lord. You're making things right with Him. But if you're one that's like, well, you know, I don't really worry about those things. As a matter of fact, I mean, I'm so secure in, in you know, the grace of God that I don't even feel conviction about sin anymore. I doubt that you're saved. You can't. I mean, how many of you feel the conviction of God when you even have a bad attitude or you get snarky and walk away from someplace? I mean, it's like, boom, the Lord just hits you. But it's not like pound you, but he's just like, the conviction hits your heart. You're like, yeah, was that the best thing to say right there, Troy? Not Probably not, but I mean, you know. <laughs> and, and the Lord begins to, to, to convict us about things. You know, you can't go long without the Spirit of the Lord convicting you. And by the way, you know, if you've made that confession of faith in Jesus Christ and you put your faith and trust in Him, and you're one of those people that struggles with whether or not you really are saved or not, let me ask you, do you get convicted? Because if you get convicted... I I tell you, the world out there is not feeling convicted about the way they're living. They'll applaud the way they live. They'll boast about it. They'll post about it. But we're not going to want to do that, are we? And so if the Spirit of God, if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're wondering, am I really even saved? And yet you are broken um, in your heart and you are convicted, it's a sure sign that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God will teach you how to walk in obedience to the Lord. This is how our Savior lived his life, to fulfill it. And so we should walk to obey the Lord in all ways. Well, as we move on to verses 25 through 35, we see one of the first uh, meetings, and that is that Simeon is going to meet his Savior. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Here, here's some things that are real big themes in both Acts and Luke. Um, Luke writing both of them is about the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2, of course, is one we think. Our Acts Actually, Luke 24, 49, you can read about the Holy Spirit coming upon. But, but here's this man, Simeon, who has a special endowment under the old covenant of the Spirit being upon him. Unlike the new covenant where the Spirit is upon everybody, right? So verse 27, So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you've prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people Israel and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him then Simeon blessed them and Mary and said to Mary his mother behold this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against yes a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon meets his Savior. The Lord had promised to Simeon that in his lifetime, he would not die until he saw the Messiah come. Now there's nothing in the Old Testament that would prohibit such a statement, such a a revelation being given. But it is a very intriguing thing to consider, because really, since the days of Malachi, we have no comment. This seems to be, if we just kind of think about the timing of it, because I, I, now we don't know when Simeon was told he wouldn't depart. So we don't know if this this came before the, the you know the the word that came to Mary, um, you know, or not. It just kind of. As I read it, it feels, it seems like it. I can't prove it biblically. But this might be the first word spoken since the days of Malachi by the Spirit. Just a thought to consider. And so as he he received this and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, he knew that this was the case. Now, there is prohibition, right, in the New Testament about people saying, well, the Lord has showed me that I will not die until the Lord comes back. Well, no man knows the day nor the hour. We, do, we have no idea. So those that would say that, I would, I would be very concerned. I am definitely alarmed by anybody that would try to set a date to saying, well, I know the Lord's going to come back. And people do this all the time, and yet we have not, they have not learned in 2,000 years. You cannot figure out the day of the Lord. I don't care about your blood moons. And I don't care about the lunar calendar, and I don't care about any of that stuff. The Bible says you can't know, and you don't know. Well, we figured it out the blood says, No, you didn't figure it out. But you'll sell a lot of books, okay? So you, you're not going to figure it out. And I, I just this—it'll come around. I, I don't know of one that's happening right now, but just wait. If the Lord continues to tarry there's going to be somebody that's going to come up and they're going to have it all figured out and they're going to have a new angle. They're going to have some new insight into some Hebrew um, thing. And all of a sudden, you're going to, you're, they'll begin to talk about a date. And so just know that, well, Simeon was given that and there's nothing in the Old Testament that would prohibit such a revelation. There is something in the New Testament that would prohibit those that would want to set dates. And... Um, just steer clear. That's the best thing I have to say to you. I know do, you, do how many of you remember all the blood moon stuff? Yeah, okay, you remember it. So I had a lot of people asking me about the, you know, the blood moons and we talked about it back then. It's like, "Well, what do you think about it?" Well, this is what I think. Is it possible that Jesus could come back on the blood moon? Yeah, that's possible. That is completely possible. Does the Bible say anything about it? No. So why don't we focus on what the Bible has told us about prophecy rather on the things that we don't know the, about? And saying, well, this is a possibility. Well, I mean, everything is a possibility then, right? And it just it takes us away from the clear teaching of Scripture. So Simeon gets this amazing, wonderful revelation by the Holy Spirit. And when he sees this young baby... Jesus, eight days old, the Lord says, and there he is, Simeon. There's the, there's the deliverer. There's the redeemer. How much faith did it take for Simeon to be able to look at this little baby and just know that's the one. And yet, the Spirit of God spoke to him, and he believed it, and he acted upon it. You know, we may not know the, time, the, the date, but we certainly should be looking for the return of the Lord. We should be waiting for the return of the Lord. And we can look at the things that are going on in the world around us. And we can say, all right, well, you know, we don't know if he's coming back, you know, today, tomorrow, next month, 10 years, 50 years. We don't know. I mean, I think we should all live with a a high expectation that it could be at any moment. That is the teaching of the New Testament. That we should live with that urgent, filled expectancy of the Lord. If we're not expecting Jesus to come back, that's got to be corrected. Don't attach a date to it. Just live with an expectation that your Savior is coming back. And so, you know, we have a lot of things that are going on in the world today. You know, we have... uh, all kinds of unrest. We have this pestilence called COVID-19. We have all kinds of issues going on, locust plagues, you know, people trying to do away with money. I don't know if you got that notice that came out um, from our our state government, and they're coming up with an app with uh, Apple and Google, and um, somehow they're, if you download this app, and you come in proximity of somebody that's known to have had uh, exposure to COVID, it'll notify you—not a name, but it'll notify you. And you know, people wanting to get away from you know, currency and all that. Am I saying that this is, or you know, any one person is the Antichrist? I'm not saying that, but you can see how things are all moving in a direction. And so we just look and say, that's very interesting. And I don't think we should go much beyond that. That's very interesting. I need to live in expectation, and you know, if I again, we think about this. If you were to consider this thought that the whole world could turn on one news announcement within a week's amount of time, I don't mean like most of the world; the entire world would turn in one week's notice, and would give up as much as been given up. Would would have you believed it? I mean, what do I mean? And you know, January twenty twenty. If I had said the Lord has given me a word and this is what's going to happen. And You wouldn't have believed that. I mean, I think God could reveal things like that to us. We believe in the gift of prophecy, but that's that's just, are you kidding? So what's my point? Look how fast things can change. Look how quickly people can, can give up stuff because of fear, because there's something that will be safe. And I am certain when the Antichrist comes, he'll be using those two methods to try and persuade people to follow, so we look around. We should not be living as if things are going to continue forever the same. We're going to be with the Lord one day. What we see in verse twenty, um, let's see twenty, yeah, verse twenty-five is that He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The coming of the Messiah is referred to as comfort for Israel. Comfort. Luke uses the word consolation. It's a Greek word, paraklesis. Paraklesis. And it means to cause someone to be encouraged or consoled, either by verbal or nonverbal means. To encourage, to console. Encouragement. The coming of the Messiah was encouragement for the nation of Israel. This was their hope. And when he came on the scene... That's exactly what they've been waiting for. Everything will be right. When a person welcomes the Messiah into their life today, guess what they receive? Comfort. They get encouragement. And as a matter of fact, this is something that Isaiah spoke of. Isaiah 41 through 5 says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. That her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Well, who pardons iniquity? For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who's that? It's John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight um, the desert, in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. So about the time of the announcement of the Lord, speak comfort. Um, similarly, Isaiah 61 2, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. This is what the prophets had said. This is why it's called the day, the, the consolation of Israel. Because the prophets spoke of the coming of the Messiah as being this. The Paul, Paul picks up this same theme in Philippians 2:1 through 4 And he's going to call the church at Philippi to not look out for their own interest, but to look out for the interest of others even more than their own. And that they would be like Christ, and that they wouldn't consider their own reputation, but they would give of themselves. They would be a humble servant. And Paul's going to call them to this this high standard. And where he begins, he says... So before he calls them to the commandment, he says, now listen, if you've received any of these things, then I want you to do this. How certain must he be that those things that he's going to say, that if you've received them, how confident must he be that we've all received them? He's got to be completely convinced if he's going to make this logical argument, because you've experienced this, you must do that. Now, if this is not a certain 100% all of the time experience in Christ, he would have chosen a different way to go about it in making his case. But the comfort that he refers to, if there's any consolation in Christ, well, of course there's consolation in Christ. Not only for the nation of Israel, but for everyone who comes to Jesus and receives him. There is a consolation. There is a comfort that we experience. There's an affection. There's a mercy that we find in the Lord. Have you found that in the Lord? Do you know of the comfort of the Spirit of God working in your life? Coming to cheer you, not only about your salvation, but in many other ways. That when you have bad news, when you have a bad report, when your friends or a family member has bad report, and you're downcast, do you know what it's like to have the Spirit of God comfort you, console you, encourage you, and to cheer you? Now listen, Paul's very confident that you have. And if you're here, well, I know I'm saved, but I'm having a hard time identifying these, then I, you just need to sit down. You need to ponder this for a while. Think through the times that, the Lord, that you've had difficulty and look at what was happening around that time. But we can hinder that comfort coming into our life by being unwilling to receive what the Lord wants to give. It is certain that when you are downcast, when you are hurt, when you are broken, it is certain that God comes to comfort. But you know what? Sometimes we don't want to be comforted. Am I right? Sometimes it's like I, when I get hurt physically, I am the world's worst at this. I mean, and I think a lot of us are probably like this. It's just this is an illustration. I'm not trying to make a spiritual point out. I'm just illustrating. If I get hurt. My very compassionate, loving wife wants to come up and say, are you okay? And I'm always like, just, just, just give me a minute. Just, you know, I'm trying to deal with the pain of whatever's gone on. And I said, like, can I get this? I? I'm just like, I don't want comfort at that moment. And I, I can kind of retreat. And I think spiritually, emotionally, we can have a hurt, we can have a pain, and so the Lord sends a person to comfort us. Somebody shoots a verse to us We sit in a Bible study, and the Lord begins to speak to our hearts. We're alone in our quiet times. We're in the midst of a song, and I think that a lot of us could probably identify maybe the easiest time in which we've received comfort in a worship service. I, I, this is, I'm just speaking from my own experience. Because so often it's as you're declaring those words and you're saying them out loud and nothing else is coming into your mind. You're just worshiping the Lord and you're seeing that the Lord does begin to comfort you. And so this is who Jesus is. Jesus brings comfort to his people. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I want you to know you can receive comfort. But it's going to... But you got to have faith in the Lord first to receive that initially. But even here tonight, believer, are you willing to receive the comfort of the Lord? I have said, and I've told you this many times, I have said to the Lord before, I don't want your comfort. I want you to change my circumstances. That's what I want. I'm not interested in comfort right now. Just change this for me. And then, you know, you wrestle through that bad attitude with the Lord, and then you're like, okay, just comfort me. (laughs) We get to that place, but maybe that's where you are tonight. You don't like what's going on in your life. It is hurtful, it is painful, it's not expected, and you're just like, no, I don't don't want the comfort. I want it just to go away. It's probably not going to go away. But the Holy Spirit is there to comfort you, and if you will receive that comfort, you can have it. You can experience what the, the Messiah has come to do. One of the first descriptors we have about the life of Jesus is that he's a consoler. He's a comforter. He sent his Holy Spirit, who actually has the name comforter. Parakletos, Related, obviously, to the, this word we're talking about here, of, uh of consolation. So receive comfort from the Lord tonight. Comfort me. The, the door may swing open for comfort if you'll just come to this. All right, Lord, I believe you. We'll work it out. I'm gonna stop wrestling. I'm gonna stop spinning my wheels. I'm, I'm just I am now going to rest in you. I believe you will work this out. And so, Lord, comfort me. He'll meet you. He will meet you. Simeon also goes on to say more about the Lord in verse 32. We see that he is a light to the Gentiles. Light is a a familiar metaphor used in Scripture to refer to Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Talking about Jesus. In him, Jesus was a life and the life was a light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus, he is that light. John chapter 8 verse 12, very clearly Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Do you have the light of life? Do you have that illumination in this life of how you should relate to God and how you should re- relate to one another? That comes through Jesus. When you welcome Jesus into your life, He is a, comes in with comfort, but He also comes in to give light, to show people the way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Boom, there's the light. There's the runway lit up for us to come to the Lord. This is how you do it. And there are so many ways and paths that people are on that will not lead to the Lord because there is only one way. That way is Jesus. Well, that's so narrow. You are so biblical because that's exactly what Jesus said too. He said there are not many ways. There is one way. Truth can afford to be exclusive. Opinions, uh, be careful. Be careful. Your opinion may not be right. Somebody said, are you sure you're handling this COVID thing right? I'm like, no. I mean, I hope I am. We're praying. We're seeking the Lord. But I don't have a Bible verse for masks. But we're seeking the Lord. We're trying to do the right thing. Do you want me to talk about the Trinity? Do you want me to talk about you know, eschatology? Do you want me to teach about pneumatology? I feel very confident about that. So these are opinions that we're holding and seeking the face of the Lord to make the right decision. So, you know, I'm not going to put my mask policy up there along with, you know, what we're reading right here. But we've got light that leads us and guides us and tells us how to come to the Lord. And we can be so confident in that. Simeon quotes from the prophet Isaiah about this light coming to the Gentiles. And the coming of Jesus, although it was a consolation for Israel, it was a glory for Israel, it was to redeem Israel, it was also for the nations, hallelujah, that he came to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. Most of us in here, not all of us, but most of us in here are Gentiles, which means we are not descendants of Abraham, at least by blood but all of us in here are descendants of abraham by what faith we all are the seed of his uh, of uh, and descendants of abraham because we have faith in his seed capital s seed but isaiah 49 verse 6 says indeed he says it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's too small for, of a thing for Jesus to just save Israel. He's, got, he's going to be a light to the, to the nations. And this is what Simeon was filled with the Spirit of the Lord, was able to put together. It's like, oh, He's not only here for us. He's here for everybody to be a light. Thank you, Lord, that you included us in this salvation. Um, Paul talks about how once we were not a part of the covenants and promises and the blessings, but now we who are afar off have been brought near. And, and we've been brought near and we have that light that's been given to us. The Lord wants to give you light in your life, not only for salvation, but He also wants to give you light for decisions as you seek the Lord and as you study the Word and as you get in godly fellowship, guidance for your life. Seek the Lord. Walk in the light. Allow things of your life to be exposed. In Ephesians, again, it says, but have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't, don't play in darkness. Come out in the light. Well, what, what does that mean? If you don't want anybody to know what you're doing morally, ethically, there's probably an issue there. Clearly, we all have our own personal lives that should be private in certain ways. But When we talk about moral issues and ethical issues and obedience to the Lord and how we treat people, Mm, then that's the darkness that needs to get in the light. That's the stuff that needs to be in the light. In Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I know some are thinking, oh man, this is, these days are so terrible. All that's going on. I mean, these are dark, dark days. And you're right. They are dark days. But do you know what that means for those who are light? We, sh- we stand out more than ever. It's amazing how when you are out in the... Uh, you know, out in the country or out in the, you know, camping out somewhere or you go far out into the desert and somebody just even was to strike a match how you can see that. Now, you strike that, that same match, you know, in the city, it's not going to be seen. But when it's really dark, even a little flicker of light shines. It's easier than, than ever if we will allow ourselves to be, you know, to be seen, to be a witness have a good attitude and give Jesus glory for the good attitude. Be patient with people and let people know that Jesus has been patient with you. Give the Lord glory. It is so easy to stand out at this time. In verses 34 and 35, Simeon has a word that he speaks to Mary. And I want to read, I've already read it, but i want to read it again. But this time I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother... This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. No doubt that piercing referring to um, her watching her son be crucified. But you know, Jesus does expose people. And what's really going on? Because he's the light of the world. He comes and that light shines on people's life. You know, where do you re- what do you really feel about God? Well, I don't know. Well, let's talk about Jesus. Boom. <laughs> it now becomes clear. When well, You know, start talking about Jesus and talk about the claims of Jesus and the character of Jesus and the, the demands of Jesus. Well, this is going to reveal what's going on in people's hearts. He will reveal that. That's why we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We move on and we see that Anna meets her Savior also. Um, Verses 36-38. through Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was of about 84 years. Who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption of Israel. So she gets this revelation as well. That's the Messiah right there. Again, just this young little baby, this young family, this young teenage girl holding this little eight-day-old baby. And she's like, there's our redemption. That's how we're going to be ransomed, is through this one. Did she understand all that was going to happen in the life of of Jesus? No, but she knew that that was going to be the Redeemer, however he was going to accomplish it. After years of prayer, she was there praying for the Lord to come. Something the Lord taught us to, to pray was for thy kingdom come. You, some of you have been praying that your entire Christian life. You've been praying for the kingdom of God to come. One day, we will see that prayer answered when Jesus comes a second time. And it, what a glorious day it's going to be to watch this take place. A woman of prayer. A woman who um, sought the Lord. In verses 39 through 52, we see that teachers meet the Messiah. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew up and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. This was a, There were three feasts they were supposed to go to, and so we see that they weren't just devout when they had a little baby. They were devout. And... Uh, Preteen years, right? They're still doing the things that God had called them to do as a family. Verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. How do you think that conversation sounded? I don't know if Mary discovered it or Joseph discovered it. But if it was Mary, you could, hey, uh, so has Jesus been with you? No, he's not been with me. What do you mean Jesus hasn't been with you? Where is he? We don't know. You lost the Messiah. I mean, talk about pressure. How many of you have ever lost your kids for like just seconds? Maybe minutes. Oh, that is a terrifying feeling, isn't it? I, I, just, I just can't. I'm, I'm sure it was all human parent feelings, but there had to be that added element of, oh, great. I wonder if I'm still highly favored one right now. You know, I mean, <laughs> what am I going to say to the Lord? Yeah, I just, we, we left him. We, saw, we forgot. Anyway, <laughs> you can play back the, some of the conversations that maybe went between Mary and Joseph. Well, they found out. They head head back. They begin to look for him. Um, Verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. So day out. Now a day back. uh, And now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, the scribes, the rabbis, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. They love these descriptors. They were astonished. They were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Now here's an interesting little picture into the humanity and the divinity of Jesus wrapped up in a very real-life experience that all of us can relate to. We've all had parents. Or we've had children, siblings. We've all watched family members do this. We've all had these kind of conversations and, and so they're saying, what's going on? Well, see, here at this point in time, something is taking place which is unique and different than what has happened up until this point in his life. Jesus has this awareness and acts upon that awareness to begin to just be at his Father's house. And so they say, why have you done this to him? And they said, well, you should have known. You should have known that this is what my life is is all about. And so we have this tension. Now, I, what we're going to see in just a moment that Luke is going to be careful to tell us that Jesus was subject to his parents in all things. So lest you think, was Jesus out of line, we get a commentary in just a few moments that Jesus was subject to his parents in all things. So one author says, "...it is unnecessary to see in this a rebuke or accusation on Jesus' part." Rather, it is better to see this as an expression of surprise. It assumes that Joseph and Mary, due to their previous experiences recorded in chapters 1 and 2, had a basis for understanding Jesus' unique behavior and relationship to God. And so he is letting them know, I'm part of the family, but I have something that's a call upon my life. I know what the Lord wants me to do, and I need to be about my Father and His work and His business. In John chapter 4, verse 34, this is the way Jesus lived His entire life. He said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. He was all about the will of the Father and finishing what the Father had given Him to do. John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. In one more time in John 6, 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This was Jesus acting on that awareness that we have the, for the first time publicly was to begin to really um, connect with his father. Uh, and as a young man, at age 13, there would be the bar mitzvah. Um, and so there was many things that could happen culturally um, at age 12 that would begin to prepare them for that. And so there's this, it's a, a natural transition point um, for a, 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 a child, a, a young boy at 12. The difference here is he's the Messiah. And so quite interesting. He understands that he's going to have unique devotion to God and that's going to take precedence over his closest family ties. And that begins to become uh, in focus. So Jesus was not distracted with the cares or the busyness of life, but rather he focused upon the cares and the business of the kingdom of God. And that is exactly how we should be living our lives. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Matthew 6.33. That's what's got to be our focus. Luke 21.33 33. Um, through, well, just through 34 here. You can take it down to verse 36, but 33 and 34. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. You're like, well, that's not me. Good. But then he adds this, and the cares of this life. And then we all just got caught up in the net of correction right there. The cares of this life. We gotta push them down. Listen, they're gonna gonna come, they're gonna crowd in, life is gonna happen, school's gonna happen, things at work, things in your home, things in your body, things in the neighborhood, family, you know, things happen, stuff breaks. And 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 if we just gotta make certain that we learn how to press those things down and put them in their proper place so that we are ready. Because the verse goes on to end with saying, and that day come on you unexpectedly. So maybe it's not the carousing and drunkenness, but it's just, man, we are caught up in life and the busyness of life. No, the business of the kingdom, not the busyness of life. And I'll allow you to seek the Lord and find out how that applies to you and your circumstances. But find the will of God and then walk it out and fulfill the work of the Father. This is so important for us to do. Now we look at verses 51 and 52. It says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. So we see that this was not, you know, now Jesus leading the family and Jesus telling the parents what to do. No, he remained subject to them. He remained in submission to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So there was a natural growth process that this divine person the son of God was going through he was growing physically I mean when Jesus came out of the womb he wasn't walking around and you know talking and writing you know manuscripts down I mean he grew as a baby he grew in the wisdom and in stature it was a natural process what, what a unique uh, union of the divine and the human He's fully God and fully man without decreasing in his divinity in any fashion. So they get back to Nazareth and Jesus walks in submission. Um, He's not, again, bossing people around and telling them what to do. Mary ponders these things. She's like, hmm. She had all the experiences prior to Jesus being born, we have a list of experiences she had there at the temple. When he was eight days old. And then she has this experience when he was 12. And this one, Luke finds out that Mary, she thought about this a lot. It had to be about the Father's business. She knew. Other people might question, but there is one person who never questioned that Jesus was of special um, origin, right? Siblings could, not Mary. And she pondered these things. As we wrap this up, just a few points for us to ponder as we go. Are you waiting for the return of the Lord as Anna and Simeon were waiting? Are you looking for the coming of Christ again? Or have we allowed the cares of life to just overwhelm us? There's only one person that can push those things back, and that's you. It's just It comes down to a matter of, as I've heard it described one time, one time, you're either going to allow the urgent to control your day or you're going to allow the important to control your day. There's a thousand urgent things that will mess up your schedule if you let it. There's a thousand urgent things that will push you away from seeking the kingdom of God. You've got to determine what's important. What are the important things of life and family? Write them down. And if the urgent is keeping you from taking care of the important, you know what's got to change. It's not your devotion to the Lord. It's not your service to the Lord. Something else has got to change. And that's where you seek the wisdom of the Lord on on how to make those changes. Secondly, if you're in place of needing comfort, then come to the Lord tonight. Just say, Lord, I'm hurting. I hurt right here, Lord. This, This thing in my life, it hurts me. I'm pained by it, but you're the consoler. You're the comforter, and I am willing, Lord. I am willing to let you touch that part of my life, even if it means it doesn't go away, but I just got to learn to walk with comfort. I, I want your comfort, Lord, and receive that. And lastly, make certain you're walking in the light uprightly that you're walking as our Lord walked obeying the Lord being faithful being a witness and and being one to declare who Jesus is in this present time let's pray together Father we are grateful that you sent your son and fulfillment of all that the prophets declared of him exactly as you said he has come and he has fulfilled and we are so grateful Lord that you also included all peoples, not just some people. We thank you that you have sent him, your son, as a light, and that we know how to find eternal life. We know where it is, that it's in your son, Jesus. Lord, help us as we follow you.